Hello, this is Richard Dinnick. I'm the writer of the first Doctor companion chronicle, The Wanderer. This is the Doctor Who podcast, and you are most welcome. This time on the Doctor Who podcast, it's a behind-the-scenes look at Big Finish production as we chat with composer and sound designer Andrew Edwards. I was I was just playing my music. What is, what is this drum kit doing in the camper van? Well, I, I needed to practice. I haven't been playing recently and I needed to practice. But between all the recording equipment and your drum kit, there's hardly any space hardly any space in here. Ooh. It's okay. I just threw out Trev's chair. That left plenty of space. <laughs> okay, great. But remember, Ian, we're supposed to be recording right now, remember? Oh, okay, sorry. I'll be right over. Ah, oh, sorry about that. Um... What is it we're doing today? Oh, actually, it's fairly appropriate that you were practicing your, your music there on the drums because we have the chance to, to look at one of the aspects of Big Finish production that I don't often hear discussed, and that's a chance to talk to a composer and sound designer who helps put the stories together. I'm not sure a real musician will appreciate being likened to a drummer, but who is this? <laughs> well, this is Andrew Edwards, and uh, not too long ago he was able to make a, a trip to the camper van, and I was able to sit down and chat with him. So why don't we take a moment to, to listen to the interview, and then we can talk a little afterwards. Well, I have the pleasure to have with me today in the Doctor Who podcast camper van a man who has... Uh, done a lot of composing for film and theater, dance, TV, v- even video games, I understand. But uh, here in the camper van, we're especially interested in the fact that Andrew Edwards has recently done the music and sound design for a big Finnish companion chronicle, The Wanderer. So welcome to the camper van, Andrew. It's a pleasure to be here. Thrilled to have you. And obviously, we'll get into the Doctor Who stuff in a little bit here. But I wanted to start by finding out how one becomes a composer and a sound designer. What led you to this career? <laughs> I, I always wanted to be a, a film composer from when I was a kid. I was of the generation that, that was sort of raised on Star Wars. And, you know, and then Raiders of the Lost Ark came out right after that. And so it was John Williams' Arama. But then, I, you know, when I was seven, I, I honestly will never forget it. I heard the Doctor Who theme music coming from downstairs. And I was supposed to be in bed because it was at 10 o'clock. And our local PBS station, uh, WILL in Urbana, used to play Doctor Who every night at 10 o'clock. They'd do one episode. So I heard the music, and, and I went downstairs and literally watched, uh, it was episode two of The Mask of Mandragora from behind the couch. My mom knew I was there. You know, I thought I was all sneaky, but she totally knew I was there. But she liked the show, and she thought that I would like it, so she let me watch it, pretending that I was getting away with it. And ever since then, I was obsessed, you know, with it. And it was so weird and creepy, and everyone else liked these kind of big blockbusters, and, you know, I liked these giant, creepy wasps made out of bubble wrap. You know, when I had friends come over for, like, sleepovers, 
like you do when you're, you know, nine or 10, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I was excited because that was the night I was actually really allowed to watch Doctor Who. So it would be some random episode, whatever was on Friday. And I would be so excited. And then my friends would not want to come spend the night anymore because they were so freaked out by whatever they saw. I remember Ark in Space upsetting a, a friend of mine very profoundly, which is, you know, you watch it now and you're like, wow, that that really scared you, <laughs> you know? Uh, then later on, you know, like uh, Danny Elfman started getting kind of prominent. I really liked his stuff and, and that sort of connected with me. And I was a big goth kid for a while, so that kind of sensibility appealed to me. But then I went off and I taught and I did a bunch of other random stuff. But at some point, the I guess the universe started pointing me back into doing film music. And I ended up getting my master's in film scoring from Columbia College uh, here in Chicago. And then I just went to work for myself. You know, I like to say it's 90% perspiration. It's actually 90% a lot of really thankless work at the beginning, doing student films and stuff until you can start getting paid for what you're doing. Um, it's a lot of work. I can absolutely relate to the idea of sneakily watching Doctor Who at 10 o'clock at night. I remember those late night PBS showings. I had a tiny little black and white TV in my bedroom <laughs> that I would turn on just barely audible so that my parents wouldn't know in the, you know in their room across the hallway that I was watching Doctor Who. And they always showed the entire story, the omnibus versions. And so it was a matter of staying up past 11 or, or, or even later if it was a longer one. And I, oh, the, that the illicitness of watching Doctor Who late at night. <laughs> inches from the, from the black mm-hmm. and white screen. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm right there with you. And of course, our, our astute listeners will have picked up that you have an American accent. You grew up in Illinois? I grew up in Urbana, Illinois. My father's a farmer. So how does a farm kid from America get hooked up with Big Finish? <laughs> well, when I went into business for myself, it's a good story, actually. When I went into business for myself, and Doctor Who is back being, well, it's one of the biggest shows in the world right now, which is kind of crazy, you know, and it's sort of gratifying for all of us long-term fans to be like, we were right this whole time. You know, I was like, I'd really love to write music for Doctor Who, and I was like, there's no way I'm going to write for the show because, you know, the the producers are pretty in with Murray Gold, which is cool because, you know, producers and composers and directors get connected to each other and those relationships are usually long, very, very long term. You know, once you get get in with them, like look at Dudley Simpson, you know, they, these, these folks stay there for a long time unless they really do something stupid. And then you can look at film examples too, like Steven Spielberg and John Williams and Tim Burton and Danny Elfman and, you know, all these guys, they, they work together for long periods of time. So I knew I wasn't going to be able to write for the show. But that was like, hey, the big finish like is doing new stuff all the time. And they put out a ton of content. So I sent them a demo reel, just cold. I have a couple of credits doing sound design on films. I'm mostly a composer, but I'm, I'm able to do it. So I wrote them and was like, hey, I want to write music for you guys. And they're like, can you do sound design too? And I was like, sure. And then I didn't hear anything for about three months. And then I wrote them again, like, hey, just checking in. Here's some more music. And I sent them some more music. Would, would love to blah, 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 blah. And then I got a response from a guy who said, Nick wants to know if, if we can send you the, our standard audition package. When he said, you know, Nick, that's like Nicholas Briggs. It was like, that's awesome. So then I got an email from Nicholas Briggs, which was, you wake up in the morning and there's an email from Nicholas Briggs. It's sort of, sort of mind blowing. And um, it was the standard big finish audition package. I'm not going to tell you what's in it because I signed a confidentiality thing, but it's hilarious because they, <laughs> they make you construct a scene from one of their original pieces out of the audio from a recording session where everyone was being completely silly. It was it was amazing. It was, it was really funny. Listening to the raw audio is is honestly side splittingly funny. I really wanted to, you know, sort of show my metal 
on it. So I, I did two completely different versions of this scene. It was like a 10 minute long scene. So I did one with a full orchestral score and, you know, all the sound effects. And then I did one with an all electronic score, you know, just to show that I do different things um, and sent them both back. And then they sent me notes because they wanted to see how I like responded to notes, which I actually thought was cool. No one's ever done that for me on, on, a, on an audition thing. I did notes and then they were like, yeah, okay, let's, you know, let's start you on something. So I actually started working on The Wanderer in March of 2011. But it's funny because, you know, uh, Lisa Bowerman, who's the, the director, I sent her... Well, I started working... This was, this was the really interesting part is, you know, they all hang out in England. You know, I'm in Chicago. And so there were a lot of things that were just assumed that I would know that I didn't know. So there was a period of sort of trial and error, like we usually do this. The sound is a little, you know, weird and not quite, you know, so I had, it took a while for me to kind of figure out how to get that big finish sound, which was both frustrating, but now I know how to do it. So hopefully they'll call me again. So that was cool to have the amount of time to do that. I did two quick drafts of it right off the bat in like April of 2011 and then I didn't hear anything for a long time and in the meantime they actually hired me to do Graceless 2 there's a, a big finish spin-off called called Graceless that was released a couple of years ago and they just did Graceless 2 I actually did the music for Graceless 2 I started to do the sound design for it but that that ended up being more than I could chew so I actually passed it off to Full Circle who did the music and sound design of Graceless 1 and they finished the sound design. So, uh, so I did that in the interim. And then once, once Graceless was in the can, suddenly, you know, I started getting emails about the Wanderer again. So we started putting the finishing touches on the Wanderer. In practice, once you've been selected to do this, how does it work? Do they send you then the audio after it's been recorded, just the voices, and you, and you take it from there? Yeah, they send you they send you CDs and they they sort of split their their big audio session over three CDs. You know, it's a Pro Tools file, so you open a, a big Pro Tools file, and it has pretty much just their recording session straight through. Because I mean, this was you know the recording session was with the amazing Mr. William Russell, so it's it's just him sitting there. You know, he'll stop and talk. You'll you'll hear Lisa talking to him. You know, his headphones giving him direction, and then. He'll go back to doing the lines. And, and then they send you the script as well, and they make notes in the script of which take, which point in the recording session that they want to use for each section of dialogue for each scene or whatever. You know, sometimes it'll be insert the, the second time he did this line, use the second version, not the first version, and that kind of thing. So you're actually doing the edit as well. Well, I have a rotating cast of capable interns here at Blue Box mm. Box Music, and uh, they did the, uh, well, a guy named John Brennan actually did the original assembly of the original audio, and then I worked with editing that once it was assembled. Because, I mean, you still have to edit, because you have to move things, you know, oh, they're walking, you know, so... I have to create space between that line and that mm -hmm. line so that they can walk, you know, or we can have some sound effects like the door closing, the wind blowing, the wind constantly blowing and the wanderer, by the way. Yeah. So, I mean, all of the nuts and bolts of doing it, it's very, very fiddly. Um, and you can end up going down a rabbit hole of, oh, maybe if I tweak that just a little bit, it'll sound a little more like, I mean, you can really get, it can trigger, oh, yeah. trigger your OCD pretty, pretty quickly. So The Wanderer was set in Siberia uh, right around the, the turn of the 19th, 20th century. And, and obviously you were doing all the, the background sound effects as well as composing the music, which is beautiful on, on this story. 
How much work do you do in terms of researching the time period or, or the regional influences and incorporating that into what you're composing? Well, for this one, as like as soon as I you know I heard you know I saw it was in Russia, the first thing that popped into my mind was Scheherazade, especially at the beginning because uh, you know Ian's t- you know telling a story, which is how the construct of Scheherazade, which is a piece by uh, Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov, is Scheherazade telling stories to stop her from being executed the Thousand and One Night. So even though it's an Arabian sort of, you know, setting, that's one of the most iconic pieces of Russian symphonic music. And it's got this kind of folk feel to it. So that just felt perfect to me. So I used that as kind of a template in my brain. And if you listen at the beginning, there's this big chord and there's this violin solo and it's abs I mean it's it's my my references on my sleeve. The nomadic lifestyle has a certain cachet to it, doesn't it? I suppose it conjures up images of wandering tribes crossing romantic desert vistas. <laughs> you can blame the Arabian nights for that. I sort of detract from that theme after that. And I, I kind of free associated away from that. I used a lot of uh, sort of Russian folk kind of instruments. There's some balalaika stuff, some hammer dulcimer kind of sounds in it, just to give it a little bit of that folksy feel, because they're in these very, very poor towns in the middle of nowhere. Because I started with Scheherazade, that gave me the opportunity whenever I need to, to ramp up the full orchestra to bring in the drama. So, we can just leave then? I asked the doctor. He managed to shake his head just once. No. The problem still remains. What problem? These words make no sense to me. It didn't make much more sense to me. And when I asked what problem the doctor was referring to, his eyes rolled back in his head and he collapsed to the floor once more, passed out. This time, there was no rousing him. I picked up the notebook and leafed through its pages. But what was I to do? It was interesting doing radio drama because I mostly do f- film work and, and theater work, which has a visual component. So the fir- w- my first draft of The Wanderer was wall-to-wall music. The, I did the first episode, and I mean, it was constant music for the entire 60-minute episode. And Lisa, you know, wrote me back. She's like, this is, this is too much. And, and she explained why, and it makes total sense. Because if there's music all the time, you, you can't get any cues from it because you, you get used to it the whole time, and then there's no chance for drama to come back in when the music comes back in so dropping it back out from time to time gives you the opportunity to come back in and ramp the dramatic create, impact. create the moment yeah right which makes total sense and i just you know never thought of it i was just like yay i can write 60 minutes, you know which is crazy but yeah it was fun and it was it was a really cool that was a really cool um learning experience just learning how to how to do one of these because you know obviously how esoteric doing a you know a radio drama in America because nobody does them here anymore they just do them in England but and one of the things that fascinates me is this idea of how do you compose music for drama so that it doesn't distract from what the dialogue is doing and yet supports it I listened to this I've listened to it a few times now 
And it took me probably three times through, the second and third time I was specifically trying to listen to the music knowing I was going to get a chance to chat with you, and I kept getting distracted by the doggone drama. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, they, if I would have had my druthers, they would have turned the music way, way up. <laughs> that's just, you know, that's just studying the, the, the you know, I, te- I actually teach film music history, and I'm a, a student of film music and, like, how it works to, you know, to sort of bring out the the drama without getting in the way of it. The greats do that beautifully. You just have to kind of figure out how to kind of thread the needle and go through. And then when you're supposed to really pay attention to the music, there are little bits and transitions and dramatic sequences where I, you know, I ramp the music up a little bit. All I do in those little bits is just sort of nudge the volume level up and then nudge it back down again, back underneath the the dialogue Mm. when it comes back in again, so that, you know, you notice it when you're supposed to notice it and you don't when you when you're not. Does it matter if the if the music has more of a, a melody versus less of a melody, or is it more more volume or mood? I'm a, I'm more of a textural composer. Just I like creating sort of sonic spaces. Sounds sort of pretentious, but you know when you're creating a mood or a, you know a tone, and especially when all you have is what you're listening to, you want to make sure it's a kind of a distinctive sonic en- environment. So there are melodies in there um, occasionally, but you know when people are talking and stuff, you kind of want to lay off the the melodic content. I do do mm-hmm. it at the beginning, that whole opening sequence. Mm-hmm. There's a bit where the orchestra plays for a minute while Ian's talking and the violin's playing a little melody, and then it switches to a solo piano right at the beginning while he's... As soon as they switched inside the TARDIS, you hear the TARDIS hum, and then the solo piano starts. Then we met the ultimate wanderer, Barbara and I. <laughs> Even asked us if we knew what it was like to be wanderers in the fourth dimension. Of course, I had no idea what he was talking about back then. We met a few wanderers while we ourselves drifted about the universe, but one encounter made me realize that sometimes being an outsider means that you lose perspective. That's that's all melodic, but it's soft and it's the solo piano, and it's more about sort of bringing it down so it feels intimate, because an orchestra is not an intimate thing. So I brought it down, you know, so it's like Ian telling us the story from inside the TARDIS. So I brought it down to that. So even though there's melodic content, it was more about changing the dynamic of the story and not about, you know, oh, now listen to this beautiful piano solo. Hey, <laughs> Jerome, you know. Or... Yeah, and that, that was a question I had, too, then. Do you get other musicians to play the instruments once you've composed the score, or how much of this do you do yourself? I did everything myself on this one. It's actually all sampler instruments. There are a few things that I did. that I did. All the piano playing is me. But, yeah, everything else is, is I, I have an extensive library of, of sampler instruments that I use here and that's yeah that was pretty much all of it um there's some there's some i can't remember if i did vocal stuff in this one i know i did some vocal stuff in um in graceless uh but i i have access to a lot of brilliant musicians here in Mm -hmm. chicago so the next time i do a big finish i definitely plan on bringing in um a few live players to to work on it I can't remember who I was talking to recently, but they're like, you know, what if you're, you know, you're blocked? It's like, you can't, you can't afford to be blocked. You have to, you know, Stravinsky got up every morning and wrote for two hours, even if he didn't have anything to write for, he just did it as a discipline. And and you, you just have to keep working, can't stop because, you know, you're feeling angsty that day or something, you know, it's, it's, you've really got to keep at it. 
you know, it's not so much, you know, this, oh, I'm feeling this amazing inspiration today. <laughs> it's, 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 you know, oh, I've got to get that section done when they're, you know, in the cart on the way to the little town, you know, and especially with radio drama, it's very, very meticulous. And Lisa's an incredible director and she's very, very meticulous. So when you're working with her, your, your bar is raised considerably because every little thing she is aware of and, and knows what she wants it to sound like and do. And so, yeah, it's, it's, really very much a labor but it's fun i mean obviously i was working on doctor who little seven-year-old me was running around the little tardis i built with blocks and an old television in the basement you know like yeah so 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 what are your current projects and how can folks learn more about your work well my studio here in chicago is called blue police box music uh it might be a reference to a show you might have heard of I thought that might be a clue. That's it. Yeah, it might be a giveaway. Oh, actually, I'll I'll ask you since you mentioned that. And and, and most of the work that you've done, you've done work in L.A. and New York and Chicago, of course. Do folks get that reference? Yes. More and more and more and more people get the reference. And I also, in the studio, I have have every Doctor Who, like ever, on on VHS and DVD. and, And it's down here. And... If someone reveals to me they're a Doctor Who fan, I can then do the big reveal of opening the cabinet full of Doctor Who, which is always fun. Well, and now you can start opening cabinets with Big Finish CDs. Well, I'm actually looking at two copies of The Wanderer. Uh, what else am I working on? Oh, you can go to bluepolicebox.com is, is my website. And there's a, a visuals uh, channel there that has a lot of uh, work that I've done. I just finished a kind of a crazy year. I did a big recording session in L.A. for a one feature in film and two short films. I'm ramping up to do uh, one feature documentary and one feature film that's kind of a quirky comedy and uh, two short films on top of that. And then I also do a web series. So I usually have three or four things going on at, the, at one time. From what I've read on the website, you've had a piece performed at the Kennedy Center. You've uh, done work with the Joffrey Ballet and, and lots of other places. But of course, what we're really interested in is, do you think you'll be used by Big Finish again? Uh, well, I would hope so. It took me long enough to develop the system to do the wonder, and I have it ready to go. So the the larger dramas I found prohibitively time consuming and daunting for me. So as much as I'd love to do, you know, like a a Doctor Who with a Doctor and that kind of thing, I think I'd I'd really love to do another Companion Chronicles. I think it's really really cool, and it's it's right up my street in terms of what you can do with that medium. Yeah, I'm a particular fan of the Companion Chronicles, as listeners know, and and I. When you just have the one or two voices, and it's uh, a drama done, but with a lot of, a lot of monologue, a lot of uh, one actor really creating the tone and creating the space, it seems to me like the music and the sound design becomes ever more important in terms of helping to create that that tone. Uh, my particular favorites are the ones that tend to have this sort of wistful or nostalgic or uh, bittersweet feel to them, which which you know, I felt in the music that you did for The Wanderer. It becomes more of an intellectual exercise, like, because when you have a radio drama, you know, and you have 10 people, putting them in the in their spaces and doing all that stuff is, is just feels standard, like you know how to do that. With The Wanderer, you know, sometimes Ian is the narrator, sometimes Ian is Ian in the story, sometimes mm-hmm. Ian is the doctor, and he does a wonderful William Hartnell impression, and sometimes uh, he's, you know, Barbara or Susan. So you have to figure out how to make that happen, you know, and I feel like with every different one you you did, it would be a different set of circumstances and you'd have to find a new way of making that same formula work in a different context. And I, I like those kinds of little sort of gray areas. 
Well, I, for one, look forward to hearing more of it from you. Thank you so much for, for joining us in the camper van. It's been great. I think I think the sound design and, and the, the music is one of the things that we often don't delve into. You guys are kind of hidden behind the scene, two or three layers, but but so critical to the way it works once, once the story comes across to the listeners. It really, you know, it, it makes all the difference. It always adds that layer of polish to have, have good music and, and good sound design, well, especially big finish stuff. They've gotten to the point now where, where it sounds, you know, really uniform across. And, and they're more experimental, you know, trying out new stuff. And, and it's just, it's really, it's exciting to do. And it's so different from everything else that I do that it's just, it's a delight. And I continue to be incredibly grateful to, to Nick and Lisa and Mark and everybody who, and David, who, who gave me a shot uh, over there at Big Finish. Well, that sounded like a really interesting conversation you had there, Michelle, especially given your love of music. I have to say that I was really quite surprised to hear about how they do the music within these big finishes. In my mind, there was some music composer somewhere creating just music, like an isolated CD score almost. And then somebody else, an editor, chooses where to bring that in and to mix it in with everything else that's going on. So to hear that the music composer was basically given all the raw uh, audio with directions and how they wanted to cut it together and then they built the whole tapestry together it was really fascinating I mean, it makes a lot of sense when you think about it but was not how I, I assumed they would do that kind of job I was surprised by that too I had no idea before the conversation that he had done all the uh, the sound design as well on the wanderer but it does make sense I can see that it would be a challenge though to do it from a distance I mean I never pictured the composer as being in the room or anything but uh, I felt a little sorry for him that he never gets to experience those wonderful lunches that they always talk about at Big Finish during the recording sessions. Indeed. Um, And he's obviously got huge control over how the the final product comes out because uh, you might not realise all the time how much the music brings to it, but obviously in an audio form, that's a huge deal. It's like doing the set design when you're you're in, in a TV show. And then to have all the sound effects as well and to choose exactly how to bring people's voices in and so on. It's a hugely responsible job that they've uh, they've given him there. He did a, a good job. He commented on the idea that there is no visual component when he's composing for audio, which seems very obvious, but I had never thought of it in quite those terms. And it does underscore, huh, underscore just how important the music is in, in building the mood and, and cueing you uh, when important things are happening. I will say one more thing. It, it was such a, a fascinating chance to get to to see how the process works. I think it would be great if Big Finish at some point were able to include some interviews with composers uh, on their extras that they provide. I know that's got to be more challenging because composers aren't there uh, in the building when they're doing the recording, but uh, it would be great to shine a little more light on the contributions that these folks make to the to the overall story. Well, especially since, as we've now seen, it is a absolutely pivotal part of what the final product comes out as. As he was saying when he was talking about his audition process, his choice of music and his choice of how he structures it can take it in two totally different directions uh, and make a different play out of it. So yes, I would very much like to hear some more uh, background material on how that job happens. Yeah, and as long as you uh, mention the play and the ultimate product, why don't we go ahead and take a look at uh, The Wanderer itself and share a little bit about what we thought of the story. Then, with no warning, the air filled with an unnerving whine. As I surveyed the heavens, a bright streak appeared, a line of fire across the starlit canopy of the sky. Barbara gasped. What 
is it? Susan cocked her head to one side in that unearthly way she has. I don't think it's a meteor. Listen, it sounds like it has an engine. The doctor placed a hand on his granddaughter's shoulder. Very perceptive, my dear, he said. Even lit from behind, I could see the twinkle in his eye as he stared up at the object entering the atmosphere. I think we had better take a look. Hmm? Well, let me start by talking about some of the things that I, I like about this story. Um, and I I've, I've mentioned in the interview with Andrew that I do like the tone and I do like the music. I think the work that... Uh, that Andrew did in terms of music and sound design works really well in here. It sets a, a nice evocative tone for the period. I would never have realized uh, before meeting Andrew that this was written by somebody, that composed by someone who was working for Big Finish for one of his first times. Uh, there certainly is sort of a, a set feeling, I think, to the sound design and, and composition for these stories with Big Finish. Uh, and even though he was new to the organization, it seems like he captured that that just fine. So certainly I, I appreciate the work that, that Andrew Edwards did on this. I also enjoy, uh, there's a, a main guest actor whose name is Tim Chipping, and I enjoy his performance. It's a performance that has to go from fairly quiet moods to, to real over-the-top kind of crazy moods, and uh, really appreciated the work that he did, enjoyed the voice, enjoyed the character. The Doctor is no stranger to aliens. That's true. Aliens. So many aliens. I have seen them. And the creatures who sleep beneath our feet. <laughs> so many, many aliens. What is it about this planet that draws them like the sheen on a horse attracts flies? This is really more of a character piece, I think, than a a plot or action-heavy story. Uh, so it's definitely going to appeal to people who like that more mm, contemplative uh, style in terms of storytelling. What do you think, Ian? I have to agree around the music. That uh, Very often I don't really notice the music as much. Um, it builds the atmosphere and it's a very important part of the story, but it's not something you pay conscious attention to. I think in this case, if it wasn't for the fact that I was paying attention to it, I would have been much the same. But it adds so much to the atmosphere of this particular story, really sets the scene, really sets the emotional tone from scene to scene, and works very, very well. So I, I've got to join you in saying that the, the, the music really adds a lot to this story. Um, equally, Tim Chipping was very, very good in this. I very much enjoyed his uh, work as Grigory, who's a very interesting character, very well portrayed, with a lovely, rich voice. Sadly, I have to say I wasn't as taken with William Russell's voice in this because his voice has not unreasonably aged and it just didn't sound quite right to me. It didn't sound like Ian, which was a shame. But, you know, you've got to work with what you've got. Yeah, this this probably isn't my favourite performance of his. I thought it was it was decent. They don't have a real distinct framing device for this, but it, it definitely starts as if it's an older Ian reminiscing about something that happened in the past. And I, I much prefer these companion chronicles where they do that rather than expect uh you know an older actor to sound just like he did when you know when he was performing in the show it's always a, a treat to to listen to william russell he's he's something of a treasure in my opinion but uh yeah maybe not his strongest i did think his take on the doctor was very very good actually which is perhaps the the benefit of that uh, effect as well in terms of the story i would agree that this is very much an atmospheric character piece I thought the plot itself had some, some weaknesses 
and from that perspective didn't completely satisfy me to me this felt like uh like uh, an okay story but not one of the great stories um there were elements of it that that were interesting um i felt the way that the resolution played out at the end was a little uh, arbitrary. I'm still not certain exactly why the res resolution happened the way that it did. But I wouldn't call this a bad story in any way either. I mean, it was an enjoyable listen. It was. Um, I have to say, I won't say what it is, there's a big reveal within here, and I got it almost straight away. So for, for me, there was no reveal there at all, which slightly robbed it of so much dramatic tension. There was also a couple of points where characters were doing rather nonsensical things. Uh, Ian goes and starts talking about time travel in the future to a character for no apparent reason, which then has a huge impact upon the story later on. Um, and there was also a point where a character from the time starts just blithely talking about going and using control panels on a device they found. You think, well, hang on a minute, he wouldn't know that language, he wouldn't know those words. Uh, or in any way be familiar with the concepts. And there was a few bits like that that I thought let it down. But if you just kind of avoid the nitpicking and go with the flow, the, the atmosphere draws you in and is very satisfying. Well, this has been a real treat to, to get to look into a little bit about how Big Finish stories are put together. Uh, we here at the Doctor Who Podcast want to give a great thank you to Andrew Edwards for agreeing to, to being interviewed. And also a, a special shout out to faithful Doctor Who Podcast listener Aneta, who's a friend of Drew's and who contacted us and, and gave us some information to be able to get in, in contact with Andrew. My understanding is that both of them will be attending this year's Chicago TARDIS in November. So if you're going to be headed that way, boy, give them a shout out and give them a thank you. Yes, it's been great fun to look at one of the less noticed parts of how these stories are put together, but a very important one nonetheless. Join us for the next Doctor Who podcast, where slightly more normal service will be resumed. That's if I can get this drum kit out of here. Yeah, you better get it out before James and Trev come in. Yeah, I don't think uh, they'll be very impressed with uh, what I've done with their chairs. I better go and try and find them again. Where did I leave them? That was the Doctor Who podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care. You know, what this podcast really needs is more cowbell.